We are wrapping up our series today, Climate Change. It's been an incredible series and has created a lot of conversation about relationships. But just a heads up, next week we're starting a brand new series called Promises, Promises. And we're going to talk about some promises that you can actually hang on to when it comes to God. So we'd love for you to join us next week and invite someone to join you online. That would be incredible. But as we wrap up this series today, I want to just recap where we have gone. And you're more than welcome to go back to our website, lifehousepeople.com and watch the first three messages. But what we said is that there's a climate in every relationship. And you know that. And our lives are just a big bowl of relationships, whether it's a parenting relationship, a marriage relationship, work relationship, all kinds of relationships. And what we said is that the climate dictates the forecast. And everyone has a climate to them. You know someone, when they walk in the room, they actually change the temperature of the room. And sometimes they don't realize they do it. They walk in and things go in a more negative direction, maybe a more positive direction, but the climate changes. Now the challenge with this, this is what we've said, is that you and I have a climate also. You have a climate and I have a climate. Now what I don't always know is that what is it like when I walk in the room? Because it's so easy to see this in other people, but sometimes it's difficult to see in myself. Now, what we said in week one is we said there's a question that each one of us should ask, you know, at least two or three people, maybe your spouse or your kids or your neighbor. And this was the question we said we should ask. What is it like to be on the other side of me? Now, I know a lot of you have asked this question because we've heard feedback. My, My suspicion is some of you have not gotten around to asking the people in your life this question yet. And I just want to encourage you in this last week of the series to do this because this is how we find out how to be better you know, husbands and wives and friends and neighbors and, you know, work associates. So we'd love for you to still ask that because when we find this out, things can change. And you know this in about all your relationships that until the climate changes, the forecast is going to remain the same. And maybe there's a forecast in one of your relationships that's not so great. Well, maybe this would be the way you could change the forecast of that relationship. So that's where we've gone over the last three weeks. And today I want to build upon that and talk about something that I think is really, really important. But before I walk us into that, I want you to know what I'm talking about today is not when you just have a bad day or have a bad week, because we all have those. We have a bad day or week we're not feeling good or there's some extra stress in our world and you're just kind of off your game or even a bad month. I want to talk about when there's a consistent problem in the forecast of our lives, where it's stormy wherever we go. And it's when I walk into a room and I bring pessimism and negativity into the room. Do you know anybody when they walk in, there's just immediate pessimism and negativity? I mean, they just can't be positive about anything. Yeah, it's it's when I bring negativity, pessimism, cynicism, bitterness, disillusionment, and discouragement into our relationships. Have you ever been around somebody that brings that to the table? It is absolutely exhausting because everything that comes up, there's a negative side to. Everything that comes up, there's cynicism and pessimism. And this reminded me of a character from Saturday Night Live years and years ago called Debbie Downer. And I thought just to kind of get the mood set for where we're going today, I would show you just a short clip of Debbie Downer. So check this out. Hey, what'd you wish for? I can't tell you. It won't come true. (laughs) I bet he wished for that new Mustang GT he won. (laughs) <laughs> I should have. You should have wished for uh, better golf scores. <laughs> oh. <laughs> if I had a wish, I wish that they'd release that poor hostage in Iraq. 
you're enjoying your day, everything's going your way, then along comes Debbie Downer. Always there to tell you about a new disease, a car accident or killer bees. We beg her to spare you, Debbie, please, but you can't stop Debbie Downer. <laughs> all right, who wants cake? I want some, I want some. All right, oh, you get some cake. Okay. None for me. With all the refined sugars we're eating, America's experiencing a virtual epidemic of juvenile diabetes. <laughs> I loved that, and I loved in her little song where it talked about there's always killer bees, because apparently now we have killer bees or killer wasps, so maybe she's right about the whole thing. Now, Debbie is one version of that, but you know people that are a whole lot more pessimistic and cynical than even she was. And usually, where that comes from when, is when in our lives we have unrealized dreams. There's things that we've dreamed about, whether it's a job, a relationship, you know, a, a direction in our life, and then that meets reality and we don't realize the dreams that we have. And in those moments, it's so difficult because our unrealized dreams crush something that is so important in every relationship we have. And I want to talk to you about something that we have to fight for in our relationship in our life, in the very being of who we are. And the thing that we have to fight for is this idea of fighting for hope. Because hope is such an important thing when it comes to, I believe there's something good ahead of me. I believe there's something I can hang on to. I believe there's something that I can hope in. Now Solomon, who wrote the book of Proverbs, and Proverbs is this amazing you know, book in the Old Testament that gives life wisdom, like for everyday living. In fact, if you're looking for something to read in the scriptures, Proverbs is a great place for you to go. But Solomon, who wrote Proverbs, writes this really interesting thing in Proverbs chapter 13. He said, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Isn't that interesting? Hope deferred makes the heart sick. That when you don't have hope in your life, your heart begins to, you know, to be crushed and it begins to wither and it begins to dry up. Because without hope, we go in a really dangerous place. I, I remember as a young pastor, I was just trying to figure out how to do my job. I was in a very small church and we decided that we were gonna create a Saturday night service for people that worked on Sunday morning. And 20 years ago when I was doing that, it was working in other churches, and so we got all excited. We decided we were gonna do this and you know, forge ahead. And so the first Saturday night service that we had, I mean, more people came to that than came on Sunday morning. And we thought we'd arrived and we'd done this amazing thing. Well, eight weeks later, it was me and about eight people in the room, and I was so discouraged. And this is what I thought to myself. As a young 29-year-old pastor, I I wonder if I can do this. I wonder if I can figure out this whole thing out. And my hope kind of got pushed out of my heart a little bit. And I had to lean in to hang on to the dream and the mission that I felt like God had called me to. And maybe you've experienced this in another way. Maybe you were in a relationship that you thought, this relationship is the one. He's the one or she's the one that I was supposed to be with my entire life. But now, he's engaged to somebody else or she's engaged to somebody else. Maybe for you, and this is a hard day because it's Mother's Day. And your whole dream was to have your own child, right? <laughs> and this is very difficult. But now your sister has four kids and she can't quit having kids and she doesn't even want any more kids. And you're still struggling to have your first and hope has been pushed out of your life a little bit. For you, maybe it was a business. You decide, I'm gonna start a business and it's gonna be successful. I'm gonna finally get to do what I wanna do and call the shots and now you feel the weight of your business and it's heavy and it's not as lucrative and this whole thing going on with a pandemic in our world is just squeezing the hope out of your 
business. Now here's what you need to know. All those things can crowd hope out of our lives. But maybe more importantly, it's really difficult to be on the other side of me when I don't have hope because I become pessimistic and negative and cynical of all things. And so here, here's the bottom line for where we're going today and what I hope you can hang on to and it's simply this, that when your dreams meet reality, choose hope. When your dream's the thing that you want so badly, it meets reality and reality just steps on your dreams a little bit, would you choose hope? That there's still something ahead. Now, I know that might sound like preacher talk, like, Matt, Matt, you're a pastor. You're supposed to say these things to us. You know, you get paid to be positive. There's always a silver lining. It's always darkest before the morning, all those things. But I need you to know that when I've looked past my life and I saw where some of my dreams met reality and they were crushed, holding on to hope is what brought me through. And I think through Christ, There's something to hold on to. Even if you don't believe today, I think there's an extended offer of something to hold on to. And when you crack open the scriptures, there is actually a hope-building process. You see the Apostle Paul, who wrote more than half of the New Testament, one of the most famous figures in all of history, he decides to write a letter to a group of Christians in Rome. Now, you know this if you've been around, but maybe this is new information that it was very difficult to be a Christian 2,000 years ago in Rome because they were constantly hunted down, jailed, beaten, their possessions were taken, and often they were killed. And so Paul decides, I got to remind them of the hope that they can have in their life. And so he writes this this little letter and this little passage. He says, and we boast in the hope, there's our word for today, of the glory of God, not only so, but we also glory, and this is so strange, he said, we glory in our suffering. To which we're like, whoa, 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 Paul, how can you glory or celebrate suffering? And he might say, I'm glad you asked. He would say, because we know that suffering produces. Now, if I'm going to fill this in on what suffering produces, I would say it produces pain, heartache, all things bad. There's nothing good out of suffering. And Paul would smile as a person that had faced incredible suffering himself. He would eventually give up his life for what he believed. He said, We know that suffering produces perseverance, produces character, and character produces hope. That out of suffering comes this hope-building process. So you start with suffering, whatever you're suffering in. Remember, 2,000 years ago, I mean, they suffered in ways that I cannot imagine. I mean, I feel like I'm suffering if I don't have internet for the day, but they suffered at the cost of their very lives. But Paul said, in our suffering, we learn perseverance. Now, this might be a little offensive to you because it is to me. We're a group of people, we're a culture that, you know, perseverance isn't easy for us anymore. And it's mainly because our lives are so easy, but when we learn perseverance to walk through for what we believe and stand on, it's a game changer. And Paul would say, yeah, because perseverance, it creates character in your life. And not just character that you're a good person, but the very character of Jesus. To love your neighbor as yourself. To lay down your life for people that matter and for the maybe even people you don't like so much. And when you live like that, there's hope. And there's hope forever. Now when you look at the great men and women of faith throughout history, like Abraham and Isaac and Moses, like David like Peter and James and Paul and Mary and Mary Magdalene and the people that love Jesus, you see the same pattern in their lives, that they had to go through incredible suffering. But it built perseverance and character and they were able to hang on to hope. 
And again, for me, when I look back in my life, I realize when I was at some of the toughest times is where God was doing his greatest work in my life. And I couldn't see it in the moment, but looking back, I went, oh, look, that's where God showed up. And that's where my faith grew, and that's where I learned to trust God. And maybe you've experienced the same thing. Now, for most of us, this whole thing starts with expectations. And we all have expectations. Maybe for you, it was the expectation of getting into the right school or having the right job. It was having the relationship that you always dreamed about. Or maybe on Mother's Day again, it was having a child. But along the way, sometimes our expectations get crushed. And maybe for you, you're tuning in today because once upon a time, you walked away from God and now you're kind of interested again. But it was because your expectations were crushed. Or maybe you you believe in God, but you don't have a lot of hope. Which means you believe in God, but you kind of live as if he doesn't exist in your life, but you still believe. And I think the invitation is you can believe and you can have incredible hope at the same time, even though your expectations haven't all worked out. And God could do something in the middle of reality in your expectations meeting that might be incredible. And we could have picked a number of different characters from the scriptures to look at how they walked through this hope building process. Could have gone to Abraham or Peter or anybody in between. But I decided, let's talk about Jesus himself. Because if anybody had to walk through suffering, it was our Savior. And so we're going to open up the book of Mark, as in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's one of the Gospels. Mark got his story from Peter, who was an eyewitness of Jesus' life. And Mark decides to start writing with Jesus being baptized as he begins to go public with who he was as the Son of God. And so this is what Mark tells us. He says, Jesus, just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, which means he's just been finished being baptized, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. Now, I don't even know what this must have looked like, heaven being torn open, but somehow the veil between heaven and earth tears open and his heavenly father is about to speak into Jesus's Life. I mean, you talk about expectations. Listen what God the Father says to God the Son. Mark tells us, and a voice came from heaven. And the voice said, you are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. In other words, God the Father pulls back the veil of heaven and says, this is my boy. And I couldn't love him anymore. And I couldn't love him any less. He is my son and I am so pleased with him. You talk about an expectation because when you had that kind of approval from your father, I mean, for some of you, can you imagine if your dad ever said that? Now imagine your heavenly father, the God of all creation saying, I am well pleased with you. The expectation is my life is gonna go well. My life is gonna go in a really good direction from here on out. That's what I would think if I was Jesus. Now don't forget, Jesus is all God and all man wrapped up in one, so I don't know how he you know, perceives all this, but for me, I would be elated. But what Mark tells us next is just a little shocking because immediately after, in other words, at once, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And here it means the wilderness, it means the desert, it means to a place in a season of suffering. Now let me just ask you a question. Who sent Jesus out into the desert to suffer? It was not the Jewish leaders that would have him crucified or the Roman soldiers who would actually do the crucifixion. It was his heavenly father. And in this moment, Jesus goes from incredible blessing to suffering in a turn of a dime. 
And we ask the question, how can that be? How can you love your son that much and let him go into suffering? And maybe you've asked that, God, if you love me so much, how could you let me go through what I've gone through? But God knows he's going to do something amazing in Jesus' life. This is what we're told by Mark. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, and he didn't eat for 40 days. I mean, for me, that's suffering enough, man. Being tempted by Satan, I don't even know what that means. It just sounds awful to me. He was with the wild animals. And I don't know if you sat down with Mark and said, Mark, why did you say, you know, with the wild animals? Mark might go, I don't know. This is what I was told. And I don't know if Jesus was afraid of the wild animals. They were his pets. But he was with the wild animals. It's kind of a strange thing to say, but it wasn't good. There were wild animals all around. But what Mark tells us next is kind of amazing. He says, and angels attended him. You see, God is doing something in Jesus' life as fathers. And I don't know if Jesus needs this or he's just showing an example of how this works for us, but his heavenly father attends Jesus. He's there in his presence. And let me tell you this, if you're going through a time of suffering right now, the promise is that God is with you and he's attending you. I know when I look back in my life and I see the hard moments of, that my life produced, I can look back and say that God was there with me and it taught me to trust him and to count on him. And when I think about the things that I've counted on and trusted in my life, I've counted on the temporary things that the world has to offer, and that's not all bad. And I've counted and trusted in God and his love and his plan for my life, and I found that that is way more stable and hopeful than the things that come in and out of my life that this world has to offer. So Jesus has gone from incredible baptism to suffering in the wilderness, and then Mark tells us this. He says, after John was put into prison, wait a minute, time out. John, who was Jesus' cousin, who actually baptized Jesus, is now in prison, which is a bummer, and will eventually be executed, which is awful, and now Jesus has that on his plate. There's more suffering piled on. He says, after that, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. So that means Jesus was facing this incredible suffering and proclaiming Good news, that suffering and good can coexist at the same time. And this is what Jesus said. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Do you know why he said that? Because he had shown up on the planet to bring God to us. And he would do miracles, he would love people, he would forgive people, he would chastise the religious leaders, but eventually he would have to face the cross. And what looked like a hopeless situation, Jesus put his head down and marched to the cross and through the cross to a tomb. And he would march through that for the hope of the world where the tomb was empty and Jesus had overcome all those things. And he chose that so you could have hope and I could have hope in the middle of it. And I wonder if the human side of Jesus, when he was going through all, that thing, all those things, just wondered, how could this be? How could it be so awful? But still, he had hope in what his heavenly father was doing in the world. Now, you face this. Maybe for you, again, you opened up a business. And the first day of your business, you threw open the doors, and everybody came to your business, and it was crowded, and you did a ton of sales, and you thought, I've got this figured out. And then six months later, a year later, your business is struggling a little bit. And right now, in the middle of what we're going through, you feel the weight of the financial burdens and your employees and just keeping things afloat. 
And I think Jesus might say, do not give up on hope in this moment. I know when we opened up our church life house 14 years ago, the opening day, a ton of people came and we were high-fiving and we were celebrating. It was the most amazing day, really, is my whole life as a pastor. But six months later, after we'd done 30 Sundays of that, and I was tearing down the chairs for the 30th time and cleaning the toilets for the 30th time, and we didn't have as many people that day as we did the day we started, I started to lose a little bit of hope. And here's what I wanted to do. I wanted to throw in the towel a little bit. I'm not sure if I can keep doing this. I kind of want to give up because reality is pushing hope out of my life. And I have some really important people speak into my life. Don't give up. Don't give up. This is too important. And look where God has brought us in that way. You know, maybe for you, you're in your first year of marriage. And I mean, the honeymoon was great, right? The first six weeks of your marriage was great. And now you're at year one and it's gotten hard. And you're looking across the table at your spouse and you're like, I don't know if I can do 30 more years of this. Or maybe you're on your 30th year of marriage and you've, you know, you've hung in and you trusted God in your marriage and you're trying to love your wife and love your husband, but you're like, I don't feel so hopeful about us right now. I think your heavenly father would say, hang in there, have hope in what I did when I created marriage in your life. Maybe you finally got to have your first child. And there, there's a clinical phrase for suffering as a parent. It's called the teenage years, right? So when they were two and they were four and they were six, it was wild and you had to chase them around. But you thought, I can handle this. And then, then a 13-year-old girl or a 15-year-old son is driving you crazy. And you're wondering if they're ever going to come out of this. And your heavenly father would whisper in your ear, I, I can do something with them because I did something with you. Don't give up. Don't quit praying with them and praying for them and introducing them into Jesus over and over because there is hope. And whatever your situation is today, what I would hope for all of us is that we would declare our trust upon the Lord. God, I am choosing to trust you. I'm choosing to lean in every day of my life because this is the hope-building process. Now, what that means is you don't have to wake up and go, hey, I'm happy about it all. I'm fine with it all. You can wake up and you can look your heavenly father in the face and go, listen, I'm frustrated. I'm disappointed. I don't like the way this is going. And God, I'm wondering if you're showing up, but I'm still going to declare my trust in you. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, you have an opportunity to do that today. In fact, that's the invitation. Declare your trust in me and I'll hold you in the palm of my hand. And here's the promise that when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. So let's go through the hope building process one more time that we found in Romans that we read earlier. It starts with suffering. What suffering does is it builds trust. When I see how God brings me through the times of suffering and hardships, I learn to trust God. And what that brings me to is this amazing idea of perseverance. And we're just going to define perseverance today is, hey, just do the next right thing. Just do the next right thing. So many times in my life, and maybe yours, when you start digging a hole, or you find yourself in a hole in your life, we make decisions that make our life worse. You struggle in your marriage, then you make a decision that makes your marriage worse. You struggle in your job, and you quit you know, off the cuff, and now you don't have a job or income. You turn to something that's going to hurt your body. Hey, I'm going to choose today to make the next right decision. I can't figure out tomorrow. I can't figure out six months from now. But right now, I have two choices. I can make a bad decision that's going to hurt me and my family and my friends. Or I can make the next right decision. 
And I'm going to step in to that. And what that produces is, is character. And character opens up these then God moments. And maybe you've experienced one of these things where you're trudging through difficulty and suffering and pain and you're trying to persevere and have character and then there's a then God. Then God showed up. Then he called. Then the thing came through. Then, then my friend decided to you know, pick me up and give me a hug and say, I'm with you always. I mean, it's the then God moments that we hang on to. And if you've ever experienced a then God moment in your life, I'm telling you, you gotta hang on to those. And if you haven't, I'm just believing and hoping for you that that's coming in your life. And what all these things create is more hope in our life. And this is easier for me to say than to do because when I'm in the midst of a dark place, I can forget all this. But I would remind you that your heavenly father loves you more than you can imagine. That your heavenly father says to you what he said to Jesus. This is my son. This is my daughter with whom I'm well pleased. Not because they live perfect lives or they're sinless. That's far from true of any of us. But just because God created you and he loved you and he gave his son for you. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. When your dreams mean reality, and they will, would you choose hope? Would you choose to trust and let God build character in you and perseverance in you and hope in you? And that's not just for you, it's for the people in your lives because to be on the other side of someone without hope is exhausting. And our relationships never go in a better direction when there's not hope involved. And I'm just simply thinking about marriages today and parenting today because it's Mother's Day weekend. I hope you can find incredible hope in those two relationships. Hey, in just a second, we're going to sing a song that talks about praising God and loving God in the midst of hard times. It's called Yes, I Will. And I hope as we sing that song, you can participate and maybe let your heart be filled with the hope and joy that God has for you. But before that, I'd love to pray with you. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for hope and perseverance and character building in my life and in our life. And I just pray for the person out there that would say, yeah, I am in the middle of the season of suffering. I'm in the middle of the desert. That they could find hope in you. And this would be a moment. They could look back and see that you showed up and you love them with an incredible love. Thank you for all that you've given to us, Jesus. But maybe most of all, thank you for the cross and the resurrection. It gives us ultimate hope. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.